What's going on, Mogul listeners? We hope you've been enjoying the season so far. Right now, we're back in the studio, and I'm joined by Mac, one of the producers on the show. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me, Jinx. <laughs> I like the energy. Um, for sure, for sure, man. Look, I know why we're in the studio together right now, but can you just put everyone else on? Sure. All right. So I'm here in the studio today because I want to share one of my favorite interviews of the season. It was one of the interviews that I did on one of our last trips out to Miami with a guy named Walshy Fire from Major Laser. You know Walshy. A guy named Walshy Fire. Of course I know <laughs> Walshy. Legendary DJ, Miami spokesperson. Um, his name precedes him. All that. He's the legendary DJ, Miami spokesperson, all that. But he's also a wild man. <laughs> like, I wish you could have been there for this interview because it was funny as hell. Like, I went there to talk to him about a guy named DJ Uncle Al. But... Our conversation took some wild detours. I feel like at some point, it started to feel like I was just getting to sit in a room with like, I don't know, your, your, like your cool big cousin, like your favorite older cousin who just, let, who just let me sit in his room while he went through his record collection. I like that you specified the cool big cousin, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, the cool cousin, the one that has all the cool shit, the yep. new sneakers, the cool magazines, yep. good music, like puts you on all the new stuff, mm -hmm. but also educates you on all the OG shit that you should know about. Yes, bro, the big cousin. Yeah. So I ended up talking to him about his favorite old school Miami tracks and the DJs he loved who played them. So you've just had this secret interview on Tuck all season. Listen, I'm about to let it out. All right, well, put us on, man. Let's just take it away. <laughs> okay, so boom. I get to Walshy's crib, set up everything, and start the interview. And then out of nowhere, he just straight jacks my mic, like takes it right out of my hands. Oh, I'm in this bitch, man. What's up? Let's do it. Yo, pick up to the low. Oh, here we go. We go. Let's ride, ride. Ah, ah, ride out, ride out. Right. Yo, this is your boy. This is your dog. The number one. DJ. It's your boy Walshy Fire. Representing Carroll City. Straight up. Jamaican. Straight up. 305. Prime Minister. Riding and looking, looking and clowning. Clowning and juking. Juking and vibing. Man, I hope this translates to people that are not from Miami. I hope if you're not from Miami, this makes sense to you. Okay, so here's what you need to know about Walshy. His family immigrated from Jamaica when he was around 11 years old, and for the most part, he loved growing up in Carroll City, a neighborhood right outside of Miami. Now, he's a DJ with the world-famous group Major Lazer. They've made some crazy music, and done some even crazier collaborations. I'm talking tracks with artists like Snoop Dogg, Ty Dolla Sign, Nicki Minaj, and most recently, Beyonce. So he's a superstar DJ now, all internationally known and shit, but he's never stopped repping the 305 with everything in him. He told me that what made it special to him was the culture, the music, the DJs, especially at a little place we've talked about a lot this season called the Pack Jam. The Pack Jam is basically Walshy's favorite place. If you went to the Pack Jam a lot, you were called a Pack Jam junkie. And that was a very common term. I'm a proud Pack Jam junkie. You ask anybody else that you interview about Pack Jam junkies, they'll say, I'm one, immediately. If you've ever asked someone about a moment from their past and just watched their whole face light up like, thank you, I've been dying to talk about this. That's pretty much what happened here. 
We fell into a conversation about being at the pack jam and while she started telling me about two songs that would really get it lit. So he goes into his backpack, pulls out his laptop and starts searching for the music that he's dying for me to hear. You play this song right here, the place loses it off of the first beat. Just imagine being a, a kid, a teenager, and a, a song comes on that has no lyrics, that's eight minutes long. He's scrolling through his iTunes library, which is like thousands of songs deep, and then he finds what he's been looking for. This is this shit right here. The first beat. And it's just gonna do this. It's not gonna do anything else. Oh, we're gonna turn to Mike. Let me back it up for you then, Mr. Microphone. I want y'all to hear that. So this song is called King Kong. And if you listen to the beat at the beginning, it makes total sense, and I believe that this was in the movie King Kong, right? But you'll hear King Kong beating at the beginning. Pat Jam made this shit a problem. Big shout out to Ghetto Style DJs. They made this song a problem. Jam was a, a teen club, so there's no, you can only drink water or soda, and you're strenched with sweat, and then this song comes on, and it's a big mosh pit. Just everybody fucking throwing people in the air, just for dun 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 dun. But then there's a breakdown. Hold on. Gotta get to the breakdown, just so you could. So this would be the beginning of the background. This violin, and everybody knew it was coming. And you try to time it, but you don't know when exactly it's coming, because it's... And right here, everybody would get smooth all of a sudden. One thing I want to say about the Pac Jam was Ghetto Style DJs did two things. They had the loudest horn that you could ever fucking hear, right? And when that horn came on, it was 10 times louder than any song. You knew who wasn't a junkie when the horn came on. Because after the horn, they had these cannons that were on the floor and they would hit a button and the cannons would blow, would boom. And it would boom so loud that if you didn't cover your ears, you'd be deaf for like 15 seconds. No joke. Yeah. Right. And so it would literally be a horn for like 
a minute. It'd be so fucking loud. It'd be screeching. It, this, this horn is like... Like an emergency horn. Like, you know, when the when you're in the work, your work and the fucking... You're like, damn, I wish that's just so loud. But it wasn't like the... It was just like one long... And a song would be playing and then a song would just drown out. And then you'd see everybody covering their ears. And you'd be the only one like, why is everybody covering their ears for so long? And then the fucking cannon would drop and no lie, just like this, boom. And you'd be like, oh, fuck, I can't hear nothing. And then you'd be deaf and then all of a sudden you'd hear. If you could only imagine that setup, follow through and punchline, and then that song drop. I can't lie. I had too much fun listening to Walshy throw back and relive these old memories from the Pack Jam. So I kind of just kept egging him on because I wanted to hear about more of the songs he'd hear there. This song doesn't have lyrics for a long time. Okay. So this is this is was the this was what the DJs in Miami wanted. They wanted the song that they could talk over. The talking is what was most important. The personality of the DJ was what was most important. Having the DJ be able to talk over the record, uninterrupted, on a dope beat. A lot of these vinyls didn't come out with the uh, instrumental side. So the DJs got resourceful. And they dug and started pulling up these fucking dope ass funk records that just had no lyrics on it or huge chunks with no lyrics. This song has been sampled a hundred times, but when it gets to the actual lyric part, it was so dope. Hold up. Let me get to it. And this part of the song, everybody would act like they were having a heart attack. So you remember Fred Sanford? Oh, yeah, oh, I'm coming. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what that part was. Everybody would be like, look at everybody would just hold their heart and start bopping. But yeah, it, it reminds me of like, um, it reminds me of like first love, right? It reminds me of like your first girlfriend kind of thing. Because these were the kind of songs that would have been playing when you're meeting these people. And these kind of moments of breakdown that's when the DJ would start to use the echo on the microphone. Like how, um, I would say Jam Pony was probably the best at the echo, but they would start to use the echo like, that's right, right, yeah, buddy, and create this mood. The echo would fill the room and match the energy of the horns, you know, going and bringing this weird sexiness into a room of a bunch of little jits that just got gold teeth and dreads just, just a second ago, we were all grabbing somebody's ass and trying to like finger a girl in the club. And now this song come on and everybody's trying to get a number. You know what I'm saying? And be like, damn, what's up? To me, that's it's saying something really interesting about like being a kid in Miami. I just can't think of too many other places like at this time in the 90s where kids are freaking out over- Over like, 70s funk songs. Right. I can't name another place and I don't know everything. I would say maybe LA with the George Clinton and the uh, the funk era, maybe they used to go bananas too when like a George Clinton song come on. Maybe they would. 
Bro, when I tell you, other than that, I can't think of too many places that a 70s funk song would beat an 80s song. And worse, we're in the 90s, so it would beat a 90s song. You know? It was at the Pac Jam where Walshie first laid eyes on the legend that I'd come to his house to talk about, DJ Uncle Al. Of all the DJs and performances that Walshie had seen at the Pac Jam, Al was the one who caught his eye. Remember how he was just saying that Miami people like a DJ that knows how to talk all over the track? Well, one of the ways to do that is this thing called regulating. Here's the simplest way I can explain it. Picture a DJ with their turntables and their mic. On the turntable, the record is spinning. In order to regulate, the DJ has to know that record inside and out, front and back. Back in the day, they take their hand and freeze the record while they shot their own lyrics into the mic before releasing the record without skipping a beat. Here's an example of Al regulating over Snoop Dogg's gin and juice. Everybody knows gin and juice. Rolling down the street, smoking Indo, sipping on gin and juice. Lay back. I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. All right, everybody knows that. So you're at the party singing along with the words you know, and the DJ starts doing this. We was laid back. I got my mind on my and my hoes on my Smoking that Sipping on jungle. Back. I got my mind on my and your hoes on my back. I got me some sequins jeans. You know the niggas got they coming, but they ain't chipped in. Fuck them all. This shit happens all the time. Your hoes open up a leg, so I gotta get mine. Everything is fine when you're listening to the DOG. We got the, the death tapes that be captivating me. True. Listen to the words that I speak. Why I make me a blank on the middle of the street. Yeah, I'm back into this bitch name. Essentially, the DJ is using the record to make a new song. First, you have to learn the lyrics of the song, right? And which is pretty easy. You just listen to it a couple of times and you know all the words of the song. Then after that, you got to be creative and think, what the fuck am I going to say? You know, and I believe that everybody had places that they would test out material, like a comedian, right? You go on the block, you test out material. Yo, you play that song enough times and you keep testing out the idea, the concept, eventually you're going to find it. And then you're just going to remember that. And every time you play that song, you're going to remember what you said. And then eventually the crowd will remember what you said. And what you said will become more important than the original song. And that's how that works. And all of a sudden you're, you're a top DJ that people want to see you perform your version of a song. And even when I wasn't regulating... The way he manipulated songs, putting his own spin on things, was special. One of the most famous flips that I ever heard, and I don't think I have it on my laptop, was Uncle Al's version of Mind Playing Tricks on Me by uh, Ghetto Boys. Dog, when I tell you. So I don't know if you're familiar with the song, um, the lyrics of the song, but basically um, the beginning of the song, he says, uh, I'm going to find it. He says, this year, Halloween fell on a weekend. Me and the ghetto boys are trick-or-treating. Uncle Al said, This year Halloween fell on the weekend. We going to Burger King and Uncle Al treating. Right, so he bring back the word treating. And he literally flipped the whole song to talk about Burger King. But she said, I wasn't going to slack. So I took a fucking Burger King bag. And the next verse of, of, of Scarface in that song, Mind Playing Tricks on Me, is uh, robbing little kids for bags. Oh, I forgot what the fuck did it with our rag, something like that. And it was just like the way he flipped it, it was 10 times more entertaining than the original version. 
and then you're at the party laughing because of how clever this motherfucker flipped your favorite song. You know every word to the original song. And now you got to sit there and watch him flip it. And if he's whack, he'll never be able to DJ again. Like, he can't flip the song to be entertaining and funny. Really funny is what you're looking for. And clever, he'll never get nowhere. And that's why Uncle Al rose to be the best, because he was the funniest and the most clever at this thing. I'm a, a little baby maker. She's a, and a whole taker. Like a little old lady who lives in. After the break, we're going to take a quick trip to Al's most infamous party spot. And hear a party that's so lit, it stops traffic. Alright, so James, you still here with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm definitely present. <laughs> Alright, cool, because I want to show you something. Let's close our eyes and take a trip. Okay, story time. All right, I'm with it. I want you to imagine that you're in your car, pulling onto the street that you've never been on before. And at first, all you can hear is rattling, like speakers just knocking. You drive further and the bass gets deeper and the music starts to get louder, but then, you get to a point where you can't drive any further. Traffic just isn't moving. You're probably frustrated as hell at this point, blowing your horn, until you realize you're the only one that's tripping. As you glance at your car's window, people are literally just in the street kicking it. Some people are hanging out the car window laughing and talking to friends on the street. People are hustling, selling bags, selling shades, t-shirts, fish plates, that kind of thing. You're not on just any street. This is 15th Ave, a vibrant strip full of people, fashion, hustlers, drugs, and music, where DJ Uncle Al and his crew, the Sugar Hill DJs, gather up all their equipment and set up huge walls of speakers just right there on the street. And turn the whole strip into a non-stop party. Al's jams got so popular that he started a pirate radio station so that even people who weren't on 15th could hear him. And while she could turn on his radio at home and be transported to 15th Ave. Once Al made his way to Pirate Radio and could broadcast his jams live, people from miles around could hear his magic without actually having to be on 15th Ave. And there's one memory of Al on the radio that Walshy will never forget. He was playing, and I remember it now, he was doing Santa Claus Coming. Yeah, he was doing Santa Claus Coming. Santa Claus Coming. Okay, so this is very important, man, and, and I hope I don't fuck with your time on this, man, but... No, 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 I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I want to really kind of go into the rabbit hole a little bit and let you know the importance of this song. So Santa Claus Coming was something that I think he just thought of on the spot. His radio show was almost all phone calls. 
So he would play a song, but it would just be, get drowned in phone calls. Every fucking second, the phone would ring, and it would be something going. Somebody going, "Hey, shout out to Jennifer and everybody at Alapata." And then he would say, "Alapata coming through," and he'd be like, "Alapata coming." And I literally think it just formed into this thing. And this would be, and I'm not gonna lie to you, uh, this would be the beat that. Oh, where is it? You know, you you know, I'm gonna find it. I ain't giving up. Nope. Oh shit. Ooh. Miami people love old funk. I don't know how Barry White became like the god of Miami. I haven't seen another city that loved Barry White's funk songs like this. But this song, Brethren. The Barry White song that Walshie is talking about is the theme from the movie Together Brothers. It's a really popular black exploitation film that came out in 1974. He just happened to have one of the best versions and the best moments. And I want to say he might have even popularized or repopularized this song to the kids because there were other Barry White songs that were more popular. And I think him or someone in his camp were digging, just digging, and found this obscure beat and was like, this shit ride. I'm finna play this on the radio and would drop this on the radio. When I tell you, it it won't make sense to y'all, but it will. Because you're black and it'll make sense. He would be yelling, Santa Claus coming, Santa Claus coming over the whole song. And the whole duration of the song, he shout out your hood, he shout out your name. You'd call and you'd be like, let him know Carol City coming. I don't know if he was promoting a party, but I know it was Christmas time. And I just remember going to, I think it was 89.1 he was on or something like that. And I just could, it literally was on the radio for like four hours. I couldn't leave my car. I couldn't leave my car. I used to sit in my car and I used to be like, yo, what is going on? And for four fucking hours, he'd just be going, Santa Claus coming, Santa Claus coming, Santa Claus coming, Santa Claus coming. And you're just like, holy shit, it's Christmas time. That kind of off-the-cuff crate digging and remixing and fucking around on the radio screaming Santa Claus coming, that's not the kind of stuff you can do on mainstream FCC-censored radio stations. And that was a part of the appeal of being underground to Al. He could do funny stuff like that that made people laugh, but also, even from the underground, he was setting trends. The Barry White song that Al had dug up showed up later in a dance song called Come On Ride It, The Train by Quad City DJs. I'm pretty sure y'all know this. It's a song that went number three on Billboard and was literally everywhere. And that whole Santa Claus coming, Santa Claus coming, that whole thing, that showed up later too in a song by Uncle Luke, who we've been talking about all through the series. Luke was a fan of Al and he used this beat in his chant in Scarred, a hit song he made featuring Trick Daddy. So he was the inspiration for everybody sampling this beat. 
Because a lot of people sampled this beat after. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Damn, little um, music knowledgeable guy. Yes. Music thespian. You're right. Yeah. So Luke would have sampled it because of Al. And while it's really fucking cool that Al was using this station to show off his skills and set trends, he also was using it as a place to sort of build community. Think Facebook before Facebook or even Tinder before Tinder. When people wanted to sell things or leave their number for somebody that they met at the pack jam or even just to find out what was going on that weekend, they could call Al Station. Pirate radio was the true voice of what was happening every single day. If you wanted to sell ice cream, you call the radio station, you let them know where you sell ice cream. Because I was on pirate radio myself for like 10 years, you know, my own, my own station. I was on a whole other station, not my own station, but I was on someone else's station. And my station, yo, somebody call in. I remember when the gas started to go really high. Oh yeah, like, remember that? When gas started to get like $5, people were stealing gas. And they would call me and they'd be like, yo, we selling gas on on the street. And I would tell people where to go on the radio to go get gas that was stolen. And then they would go get the gas and they'd be like, hey, he said he out. And then somebody else would call, okay, okay, we got some over here on the street. And then everybody would go to that street. And that's, that's really what, that's a true story. For all the fun and exciting things there are to say about Miami, there's also the sad reality. Like at this time, murder rates were as high as they'd ever been in Liberty City. And Al was feeling that. So he had this catchphrase that everybody remembers. Every time he'd get on the mic, whether he was live on 15th or holed up in a studio somewhere, he'd say, Peace in the hood, peace in the hood. And Uncle Al said that all day long. The next one starts shooting, the next motherfucking gunshot we hear, we out of here, y'all. You know what I'm saying? That's why we can't jam up here in the first motherfucking place, man. Y'all cut that fuck shit out, man. Y'all don't fuck this up. Everybody got to get along. That's only shooting in the air, man. Y'all got everybody running because that fuck shit, man. Y'all cut that shit out. Y'all squash it. Hey, nine coming down. Y'all get out of them squeeze, y'all. Because you know the crackers going to try to stop the shit. Unless they know the drug jam and shit. Can I get everybody? Everybody. Just say no. Everybody. Just say no to drugs. Come on. Just say no. Just just say no to drug jam. One time I met you riding by. Chew that. That's kind of what he's known for in Miami. Things like his just say no to drugs jam, his positive energy. I mean, people still tell stories about him DJing family functions and stuff for the low or even sometimes for free. Just for the love, you know? Always encouraging people to put the guns down, screaming peace in the hood. Maybe even more than his music, this is something his community really remembers him for. Which is why it's so fucked up that he died by gun violence. See, on September 10th, 2001, literally a day before the attacks on the World Trade Center, DJ Uncle Al, born Albert Moss, was killed. According to police reports, around 4 p.m. that Wednesday afternoon, three guys walked up to his front door under the impression that Al had stolen their radio transmitter. While Al was at home with a friend, he heard a knock on the door. He answered it, and a confrontation began. The guys accused and accused him of stealing the transmitter, and Al tried his best to defuse it. Let him know he ain't steal nothing, you know, the whole piece in the hood thing. But it wasn't enough. When cops and EMT showed up, Al was found dead in his front yard with multiple gunshot wounds to his stomach. 
Um, when I found out, man, woof, that was a big crush, man. You know, and I don't want to sound all dramatic, but man, when I tell you, that was a huge, huge, huge blow. Were you away from home? Yeah. Yeah, 2001, I was in Tallahassee. Huge blow. Bigger than Tupac and Biggie. You know, huge blow. So, yeah, I remember it, man. I remember it yeah, like yesterday. I was gutted. The fact that this conflict was over pirate radio is part of what made it so tragic. He died over this thing that was so good for everybody. It was so helpful to everybody. Everybody was able to talk. Everybody was able to communicate. The city was able to bond. And while she feels like things were never really the same after that, it's like everything went super underground. Nobody would risk. Back in the day, you could drive up to the radio station to pick up mix tapes. Nobody's doing that no more. Nobody's telling you where they are so you can come pick up a mixtape. Nah. You know? Um, yeah, it's totally different. Totally changed the dynamic of what the community connection was with the radio. Think about what I'm trying to say, because what I'm trying to say is like a lot of cultures come and go. And they come and go for various reasons. One of the main ones has to be because the person who was really pushing the culture is no longer there. And you know what it is, man? It's kind of like anything else. It's just fucked up. His death is really the reason we're talking about him. You know, we would have been talking about him, of course, because he was a great DJ and he did so many things. But there were tons of great DJs here that did so many things. But he was the number one DJ and he got murdered, what most people say is over a dial. It's all good, man. Are we done? Are we done? Yo, big up everybody out there. This is Walshie Fire talking to you, man. I love you. And I'm not afraid to say it. And I wish you the best. And I hope you enjoyed this show. Love it, man. Appreciate it so, so, so much. And with that, I finally got my mic back. Thank Walshie for his time and bounced. Since then, I've had a lot of time to reflect on all the conversations I've been able to have about DJ Uncle Al over these few months. DJ Uncle Al feels like a name that we're all supposed to know. Like we're supposed to scream his name at music festivals like DJ Khaled or something. I can't help but wonder, with this kind of love and respect in death, how big DJ Uncle Al could have gotten if he was only allowed to live a little bit longer. If you haven't heard the rest of the second season of Mogul, start from episode one and check it out. We're going all the way back through the history of Miami hip hop and telling the story of Miami bass and the two live crew and the first music album to be declared obscene. Hear exclusive interviews with all of your Miami favorites, like Trick Daddy. Talk them niggas to the Supreme Court. That put Miami on the map. Rick Ross. He stood up, went to war, fight against the government, fucking democracy, you know what I'm saying? Trina. He went and fought for something that paved the way for all of us to be able to come into this platform to do what we're doing. Like, it would be none of us here without that. And more. 
Mogul is a production of Spotify and Gimlet Media. This episode was produced by me, Wallace Mack, and Saeed T. John Thomas, with help from Gabby Bogarelli. Our senior producer is Matthew Nelson. Our editors are Lynn Levy, Caitlin Kinney, and Chris Morrow. Sound design and mixing by Haley Shaw. Music supervision by Matthew Bowl and Liz Fulton. This episode was scored by Nana Quabena. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Huge shout out to Raymond Hartley, AKA Raylo, for sharing all the cool archival audio of DJ Uncle Al that you heard throughout this episode. Follow us on Twitter for all the latest news and a behind the scenes look at the making of the show. Our handle is at mogul.